welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Thank you, God, for, wow, your presence here today. We've already connected with you, appreciated your incredible work on the cross. We, we give to you. We, we feel uh, uh, leaning towards you and to your ways and your will through your word. You make it clear for us how to live. We thank you for uh, real practical life lessons that we can pick up from. We want to apply it to our lives. We want to live for your glory. We want to see the light of the gospel shine through us. We pray. Come on, take a moment and think of someone you know who needs the power of God to come into their lives. All kinds of situations, dramas, difficulties people go through, but the power of the cross, the power of God's love, His grace can come in and and shift and turn things completely around around and we pray God for people to come to know you and people that are in our lives that we would be a good witness that we would love with whatever you give us words deeds however we want to live for you we want to live reaching out we want to lean into life and people's situations not just be isolated not just be selfish not just to be carnal but to be spiritually minded to be focused on you and your ways we pray the expansion of the kingdom of God on the coast, in our lives, around Australia, around the nations of the world, nothing short of revival. Lord, we see winds and waves of the Spirit of God moving on people, moving in churches, moving in society and different communities. And we pray people to come to know You in Jesus' Name. Believe for that. Come on. Amen. Give the Lord a clap. Thank You for answered prayer. Lord, we love You. We thank You. And yes, Lord, speak to us through Your Word in Jesus' Name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Have a seat. It's great to see, uh, well, we've still got a lot of people away on holidays and the lake team, but uh, some people coming back from holidays. Lynn back from the Elvis Festival that, uh, you know, she's telling me about. Uh, And if you're visiting, uh, welcome. Uh, Of course, if you're watching online, uh, welcome. It's not as good, but it's better than nothing. Uh, I encourage you to come if you can. Thank you, Musos. Uh, yes, you, that's a very nasty, neat, mean little thing you do, Tim, isn't it? Yeah, that's the weak clap. You've done that it's ever since you're a teenager, hasn't he? He's a naughty boy, and he's and yet he's a teacher. Ah, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, I think Eleanor every now and then has a bit of a roast on Tim and gets him back. I got nothing right now. I've already complimented on the haircut. I regret that now. But um, now I don't know if you've seen on um, social media a little film clip of um, families being interviewed and asked who would they like to have dinner with and they ask the mum and dad first and of course they say oh well we'd like to meet someone famous pop star movie star whatever one wife says oh I'd like to have Justin Bieber over and the husband says no well he's coming to my house you know and they're sort of sparring about uh, you know who of all the people in the world you'd like to have dinner with And then they shift and show just the kids being interviewed. Have you seen this? All right, well, you're just going to have to put up with the impersonation of it then. So the kids are interviewed and you also get to see the parents watching the videotape of the kids. And the kids are asked, who would you like to have dinner with? More than anyone else. And they go, mum and dad. 
uh, and some kid says, oh, I'd like to get all the family over, you know, get your cousins together. Oh. And the mum and dad, they're all sort of touched and teary and like, oh. And it was actually back in 2016, it was made by Master Foods as a, ca- a ca- part of a campaign they called Make Dinner Time Matter because they've obviously got a vested interest making food and condiments and stuff. They wanted people to, you know, focus on family meal time. So the message there is, you know, obviously some of the simple things in life are the best. But the other message that I noticed when I watched that was that um, there's a big difference between fame and greatness and kids aren't really that fussed as much with fame as with some people who are in their life that are great. You can be famous and not at all great and you can be great without being famous like some of these families where the kids are like, I've got a great mum and dad, I've got a great family and that's really what's more important, isn't it? Which leads to our series that we're looking at. Uh, We've been looking at some not so famous people in the Bible and uh, people who only get a short mention uh, whose lives yet still add to this rich tapestry of history and life lessons that the Bible provides us with. And we've really been blessed by hearing, uh, I think, was it just last week, the three ladies preaching about the three ladies from the Bible, including Jael, the little housewife with the tent peg. Um, Notice it says the tent peg went through his head into the... Anyway, there's quite a bit of gory detail there. Um, And uh, so today we're going to look at Onesimus. Onesimus. Now, you only find him mentioned twice in the Bible. The first time is in the book of Colossians. Paul refers to him as a faithful and dear brother. And he was being sent by Paul with the letter that Paul had written to the church in Colossae. The second time we find Onesimus is in another letter that Paul wrote, actually at the same time and sent with Onesimus at the same time. But in this letter, we discover that Onesimus wasn't always a faithful and dear brother, that he had actually been a thief and a runaway slave. And this is the story that we're going to look at, because the letter that we read, the second mention, is the letter that Paul writes to Philemon. We call it a, the book of Philemon, but it's hardly a book. It's like 25 verses. And, um, but in those few verses, there's some really powerful principles that we can take and learn from because it wasn't just Paul writing a letter like all the letters in the New Testament it's divinely inspired so we've got this dynamic going on where you've got men or maybe a woman writing Hebrews we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews but people writing letters and yet containing God-breathed words that carry divine wisdom for our lives, all this time later. So the main reason Paul wrote this letter was to encourage Philemon to forgive and welcome back Onesimus because he had been Philemon's slave. And he had run away from Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. He had travelled over 2,000 kilometres and made his way to Rome, which was a big effort, but of course... Rome would be a good target because it would be the perfect place to hide if you're a fugitive. It was by far the biggest city. The historians tell us that it was like a million people in Rome at that time, which is amazing, far bigger than anywhere else. And in this city, 
the Apostle Paul is imprisoned. And of course, instead of drowning in self-pity like a lot of people, Paul was still reaching out, loving people, sharing the good news. And of course, there's a lesson there for us, isn't there? Of like, you know, always, regardless of your situation, keep loving and giving and serving. And, uh, and of course, Paul was famously well-known. So people would come and visit him to hear about Jesus, to hear the Christian message. And one of the people that came to visit him was Onesimus, who must have had a soft, repentant heart because he was seeking out the man of God. He was wanting to go and hear more about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So, and, he, and he responds. He surrenders his life to Christ. He becomes a Christian, which again is a good message that it, 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 it doesn't matter what you've been into, what trouble you've got yourself into, how mixed up you are, how sinful or messed your life can be. You can try and run from God, but you'll eventually run into his grace. And that's what happens to Onesimus. So Onesimus starts helping Paul out uh, with his ministry. And as they get to know each other, there's this classic coincidence or God incidence, we call it sometimes. Because you can just imagine, they're chatting, right? Paul's asking the obvious questions. Oh yeah, so Onesimus, where are you from? What do you do? Oh, well, actually, to be honest, I'm a runaway slave um, and I'm, I'm from a well, it's a long way away. I'm from a town. You wouldn't have heard of it. It's called Colossae. Paul goes, oh, no, no. No, I know Colossae. Well, actually, we've got a church there. I, I, it's, um, it's a good church, which reminds me, I've got to write in the letter. And, uh, and he says, um, oh, in fact, I've got a good friend in Colossae, but you wouldn't know him because it's a big place. His name's Philemon. Oh. So, you know, Onesimus then just realises what is going on because... He says, well, I, I, actually, it's funny you should say that. Philemon's the guy I'm running from. He's my boss. I'm a slave. He's the, he's the master. Of all the people in Rome that Onesimus met, he meets Paul, who may be the only person in Rome who knows Philemon. How many, you know, it's a long, it's 2,000 kilometres away. And yet Paul is mates with Philemon. And so this is God setting Onesimus up as he does. You know, it's a God thing or, you know, it's so God as people would say. So here's his opportunity to grow, which, which he does because he grows in his faith and he decides that his life as a fugitive is over. He better go home, face the consequences. He wants to do the right thing. And so he's going to go back to Philemon and Paul writes this letter. And what does he say to Philemon? I'm glad you asked. Let's have a look. Verse 10. He says, this is Paul writing to Philemon, the boss, right? The master. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. He would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. So notice in verse 11, Paul says, Anismus hasn't been very useful to you, but now he will be. He hasn't been useful in the past. Paul's actually making a, a play on words because the word, the name Onesimus literally meant useful in Greek, which was a common thing that they would name slaves that way, which would make sense. You call your slave, you know, you don't want to call him rebel, maverick, overthrow the ruling class. It's not a real good name to name your slave. So they'd call the slave good cook, you know, or, you know, have the strength of three men. Not that catchy, but, you know, that, that's the kind of name they'd come up with. And, and so Onesimus gets his name, meaning useful, and Paul's saying, okay, well, he's going to be useful. He hadn't been because he had run away. And, of course, notice that if Onesimus goes back to Philemon, he, Philemon's got every right to punish him under the law. But here's the good news. Literally the good news, the gospel. Uh, Philemon's a Christian. So Paul gets to appeal to Philemon's Christian faith to say, behave like a Christian. God's ways are higher than our ways. I want you to tap into grace. I want you to forgive this guy. I don't want you to hit him with what you can do with the law. And this is the power of the gospel, to change someone's life, to change their approach to a situation, to change their attitude and behaviour. And Paul knew what he was talking about because he had had a bit of a radical change. Remember, he was, you know, persecuting and killing Christians. And then he gets a complete turnaround, ends up becoming one of them. And now he's preaching the gospel and he's in chains and loving it, still just, you know, serving God. So he knows the power of God to change lives. Anismus has had his life turned around. And now Paul is saying, come on, Philemon, I want you to make sure that when he goes back, he can, uh, he can go home as a brother and you'll forgive him. And in verse 16, he reminds him. He says he's not just a slave, he's a brother in the family of God. So regardless of our station in life, he's saying we're all united under the cross. But of course, it doesn't mean that Onesimus is necessarily going to get set free. Most Bible scholars agree Paul isn't appealing for this at all. Because it's, you know, it's shocking for us today to think of slavery, but back then it was a pretty common thing. It was, you know, in ancient Rome, other civilizations, anyone could become a slave. You just had to lose one battle. Your village, your family, your whole town, bank, you're just thrown into slavery. For generations, your family might be slaves. And interestingly, the writers of the New Testament didn't call on slavery to be abolished. You know, we can look at that in 21st century eyes and sort of go, well, where's the cry for social justice well God's heart and and will is for people to be free but his main aim is for people not just to be free temporarily or 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 physically but eternally and spiritually and so that's why Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and 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 you know scuffed around with his bunch of randoms trying to shift people's attention from he could have come with all the pomp and ceremony of the king of kings that he was and that he deserved to have, but he's trying to get people to see, no, no, that's not important. It's not a political kingdom what I'm talking about. He wanted to realise this is a spiritual kingdom. Kingdom of God is within you. And the kingdom of heaven can be wherever we make Jesus Lord. And, and so in Paul's letters, uh, you know, if he and the other writers of the New Testament, if they called on slavery to be abolished, if they condemned it 
as, a, as an institution, they might have set off this massive social upheaval and rebellion and revolution, but in doing so, they would have taken the focus away from the core Christian message that, you know, there's salvation, reconciliation to God, regardless of your station in life, regardless, you know, what you've got to put up with. In fact, when you do see slavery mentioned in the New Testament, they pretty much just say, hang in there, guys, just carry on, you know. And then it also tells masters, look after the slaves, which is, like I said, it's kind of interesting reading it from our perspective, you know. Um, and of course, over time, Christian ethics had a huge part to play in the abolition of slavery. Eleanor mentioned, you know, Wilburn, William Wilberforce, the tongue twister. I wonder what his middle name was. Wallace, Wilberforce. Uh, so, you know, he and others, there were great awakenings, great revivals that led to great Christian men and women of God pushing for slavery to be abolished. Certainly in the Western world, that was very much part of it. Um, so, uh, back to Onesimus, Oni. Oni, we would call him that in Australia. If, it was, if the Bible was written today, of course he would be Oni. Because we do that. I mean, don't we? Isn't it, everything in Australia has to have a, a Y at the end of it. You know, ladies, where do you put on your face when you go out? Lippy. You know, you go to the cafe to catch up with some friends for brekkie. And then you, well, coffee. <laughs> coffee coffee and brekkie. Yes, not, not really part of the shtick there, but anyway. And you know, what prezies did you get for Chrissy? <laughs> I got, got a new Barbie, got some sunnies, got some cozies, you know. Like, this is Frosty. I want to ask, does anyone actually know his real name? <laughs> Three people. <laughs> Emily, your husband's name is Anthony. She didn't know this. She married him. She's Mrs. Frosty. She's a, it's, I talk to his father uh, sometimes, and I don't know who he's talking about. He's talking about Anthony. Oh, yes, yes, your son Anthony. Anthony Frost. It's a very nice name. It's a formal name, but it's too much for you. Frosty. Is, yeah, yeah, we just go. Um, anyway, back to Oni. Um, so, you know, any slave at that time, the bottom line is as tough, and it's easy for me to say, <laughs> but it's true. The bottom line would have been that it would be better for Onesimus with a faith in God and a home waiting for him in heaven than some rich, wealthy, pompous, proud Roman senator or landowner who is enjoying all the trappings of the world and nothing else. You know, a high position in society, but it's going to come to an end. I mean, I've been to the Colosseum and you can see the senators' names because most people stood up when they watched the gladiatorial games. But if you're a, a really prominent person and the senators would get their name, they'd get a seat and they would, they would get their name carved in the marble. Oh, no, it's not a marble. It's, um, tr- tr- what's that word? Travertine? Travertine. You know, that, that, that white stone that they used. So their name's carved in this white stone. And, um, and yet... You can see where they've crossed some out because they've died and it's somebody else's turn. And you're there 2,000 years later going, it doesn't matter which one, you all got your name crossed out eventually. You know, it sort of impacts when you consider history. And, uh, and, and so 
the, you know, the world tells us to, to aim for stuff that doesn't matter. You know, temporal wealth and, you know, seemingly important positions and yet it's the, the, the apparently insignificant things in life that really matter. Just a relationship with God, relationship with people, a, a Bible, prayer, cereal. Okay, you, all right, so my kids have a go at me about cereal. Can I just diverge for a little minute and just give you the cereal preach, right? Because I get laughed at a lot about cereal, right? It's, but they, the family don't understand. It's not just a breakfast food. It's very versatile. You can have it at all times of day. It's a snack. It's a meal. You can do the whole degustation thing. You can go the muesli with the fruit, the yogurt, the, and then dessert cereal. You don't blow, you don't do that all the time. You just, you know, and, and there's variety. And this is where problems start in my family. Because if it's on sale, and it often is, and if it's half price, you'd be mad not to buy it, right? And you, and you've got to try everything because you don't just stick with one. There's so much of out there. And so over the years, Ruth found it a little challenging because the pantry's only got so much space. And so I would get in trouble for filling up, you know, the pantry with all the different cereal options. But then Luke moved out. So just around the corner from the kitchen is Luke's old bedroom, which has got a big cupboard. And so that is the secret stash, which is not that secret now. Um, because let's face it, look, come on, there's a bit of prepping in us all. You never know. Troubles in the Middle East, American politics, who knows what's going Taiwan, you know. So if, if things go really south, I'll be helping you all out with some cereal at least, you know. Um, and so, but then the kids get onto it and they look at the, the options, it's not a silly stash, it's options for anyone, anyway, the ridicule increases. What they need to understand is, this is a true story, when I was a kid, so my family was pretty healthy, pretty strict, so having sweet cereal, you know, the Cocoa Pops, that was like a fantasy. It did occur enough that I knew it existed, but not often enough. And I can remember dreaming of cereal in the kitchen cupboard at night and then, true story, waking up, running to the kitchen, this happened more than once, opening the cupboard, only to be hit by the devastating, crushing reality that that was just a dream and there was no Cocoa Pops in the cupboard. I know, that's tough, I know. Well, people talk about traumatised childhood, so I relate, I know, this is, this is difficult. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, today, I am living the dream, baby, <laughs> literally. Because I can wake up from that dream and I can go to the secret shows and there they are. The options. I can afford more than one packet of cereal. That's the definition of prosperity right there. So God has blessed me. Anyway, back to the Bible, back to Onesimus. Even in slavery, even without wealth, even without cereal, he had the essence of life a relationship with Jesus. And I, I know it sounds a little trite and easy to just talk about some slave who has got the perhaps a much worse life than, than I would ever have, but that is true. Look, I don't have time to talk today about Valerie Browning, but you should read her book, her memoir called Malika, M-A-L-E-E-K-A, I think it is. And she's an Australian uh, Christian missionary uh, married uh, an African Afar man, A-F-A-R. These are uh, nomadic 
African people from the northern parts of Africa, they, people say, what country? Well, any country they kind of cruise into and they cross borders. But she has this radical understanding of the essence of life. She has given up everything that we take for granted. Like they, they're not into material possessions. They just cruise around and she has embraced that lifestyle. And then she writes about her story. It's wild. But she's really appreciated that life isn't about comforts and and material possessions. It's relationships. It's serving God. It's reaching out, loving, living to connect with people, make the world a better place. And anyway, that's I recommend that, that book. Um, so what happened to Onesimus? The Bible doesn't tell us, but 50 years later, interestingly, there are writings by the church leader Ignatius who refers to a bishop in Ephesus named Onesimus. Wow. Now, some theologians believe it was our mate, Oni. We don't know. Uh, what we do know is that with just a couple of mentions in the Bible, God's used his life and his situation to inspire and instruct people for 2,000 years. Because his life demonstrates to us that the gospel turns uselessness into usefulness. That regardless of someone's past, their problems, their sin, their mistakes, Jesus can transform a life. And when you think about it, there's an element of Onesimus and actually Philemon in all of us. Like Onesimus, we've all run from our master. Just like the story Jesus tells of the prodigal son. Right? He runs away, takes his inheritance early, leaves, wastes it all, and then he comes back with his tail between his legs, repentant, not sure what kind of welcome he's going to get. And instead of punishment, there's the father looking out for him, waiting with open arms of love and grace. And that is exactly Father God in heaven, waiting for people to come back to him. And at some point, we're all in Philemon's position too. In other words, given the opportunity to show grace to someone who maybe doesn't really deserve it, someone who's wronged you, hurt you. Like, you know, we need to make sure we're not like, you know, there's a second son in that prodigal son story. You can read it later, Luke 15. You know, there's the lost son, he comes back. But the second son, who's in the household the whole time, he doesn't like the second son coming back. He's resentful. He's blessed, but he doesn't appreciate what's going on. He's kind of selfish. He represents religious people, really, who, who you know, become cold and crusty in their heart and, and don't have the love of God for lost people and don't show grace when they come in and, and, and you know, maybe they don't have the right kind of behaviours. And, and so he doesn't like the party that gets thrown and, and the son coming back. And so Paul writes to Philemon to make sure he isn't like that second son. He wants Philemon to show grace and forgiveness. So, so if, not, not if, when <laughs> you're in that position like Philemon, you've got to make sure you lean in towards grace. If someone's wronged you, you know, maybe there's some lost child that's gone wayward, running from God, that yet to find their purpose in life. We've got to make sure we don't write them off. We don't give up on them. We pray for them, believe in them, encourage them, yeah, believe the best for them. And so, um, so that's for us if we relate to Philemon. And of course, if you're, if you're Anissimus today, then of course you've got to run back to God as he ran back to his master and into God's will. 
and, uh, and there we find love and grace, forgiveness, freedom. And, and of course, you might think, well, hang on a minute, I'm not, I'm not running from God. Well, if you've never run to him intentionally, you're kind of born that way. Sad to say, you know, it's called original sin. How do I say politely? You're a sinner, <laughs> a filthy, rotten sinner. Don't blame me, blame Adam, <laughs> you know. In fact, I think Adam... When we get to heaven, when, when we get to heaven, I think Adam is going to have quite a security team around him. He's going to have Samson, David's mighty men. I think some people have got some issues with Adam. He's going to have Jael, that little woman with the tent peg. He's like, hey, hey, guys, it, it was the woman. Talk to Eve. Come on, I just think it's great. You read these little snippets and stories, and then when you think about it, wow. This guy represents, as I said, he represents the power of God for forgiveness and salvation. And Philemon represents the need for us to show grace to people who, who need it. Amen. And so let's pray and take a hold of these lessons. And we come to a close. We thank you, Lord. Wow, for, uh, for this life, this little mention of this guy. But uh, we thank you that you met with him. There was that crazy coincidence that you step into to help him come to know you. And we pray for that, for people that we know that come to know you. If there's anyone like an Anissimus here today, I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ. It's the single best decision you'll ever make in your life. And it's not a... It's not a lifestyle that you just slowly adapt into by being a nice person or visiting a church or owning a Bible. It's a decision. It's, it's a relationship with God. It's made available to us through Jesus, but it requires our step of faith, simple prayer, simple request, simple reaching out to God, simple repentance. Repentance isn't a heavy, loaded, terrible religious deal. It just means to turn around. And we turn from living by ourselves, for ourselves, we turn to live for God and with God through Jesus. So I encourage you to pray that prayer. Or if you're coming back to him, come back to your first love. Recommit your life into God's hands. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And for all of us, Lord, help us to live with grace, like Paul was calling on Philemon to have, to, to welcome those back into the fold for believing the best for people who may be running from you and their destiny. Thank you, Lord. Your touch on us here today. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.